Hi everyone, welcome to Season 2 of the Asian Hustle Network Podcast, where we interview Asian entrepreneurs and professionals around the world. And for this season, we're going to take our conversations deeper about our Asian identity and hustle stories. We also want to announce that we are hosting our first ever Asian Hustle Network Uplifted Conference next spring in Las Vegas. For more info and to reserve your seats, check out our website at asianhustlenetwork.com. Don't forget to grab a copy of our recently released book, Uplifted, Journeys of Abundance, Community, and Identity, which tells the personal stories of how 21 Asian American entrepreneurs are shifting culture. You can order it on our website as well. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today we have a very special guest. His name is Gary Huang. Gary is one of the co-founders of Gyozo Japanese Barbecue, a restaurant that specializes in A5 Wagyu. Launched in the middle of COVID 2020, shut down multiple times due to lockdown, survived and is now thriving as one of the busiest restaurants in Rockville, Maryland. Gary, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, guys. That is that's a really good mic, by the way. So we put that out. <laughs> oh yeah, this thing. Um, yeah, I actually bought it for YouTubing. Uh, oh I didn't get a God. chance. I kind of stopped it a bit, but this is like, yeah, it's a pretty, yeah, it's a pretty expensive mic. <laughs> that's really good quality, by the way. And Gary, so excited to have you on the podcast today. I want to start also saying thank you so much for helping us host one of the first Asian Hustle Network meetups we have ever had ever in in dc so thank you so much for doing that for us helped us build a friendship really appreciate that man yeah no worries no i really the honor is mine i really appreciate you guys uh trusting me to run that first uh event in the dmv area and um yeah i can't wait for the vegas event in april yeah that'll be super exciting so gary let's hop into the first question tell us about yourself and what was your upbringing like wow all right man all right let's get to it uh, a little bit about myself and my upbringing. All right. So should I do like a quick summary and then do talk about my upbringing or anything you want to do? Gary. Anything? Yeah. All right. All right. So, um, so a little bit about myself. I'm a Korean American. My family actually moved to the States uh, when I was two years old. Um, they came with like, I want to say like less than $2,000 in their pockets. Um, you know, kind of like American dream, legit, like American dream. Like they had no idea what they're doing. They're just, they just went for it pretty much to provide a better life for um, myself because my sisters weren't born yet. So it's just me. So we moved to Baltimore, Maryland in 1992. And uh, during that time, you know, my father's working construction and my mom's working like all these uh, odd jobs either as like a restaurant server or um, working at a factory. Uh, So they worked their butts off and come around like, so, you know, I, my background is kind of like, I come from like, you know, like lower class background. So going, growing up, you know, I noticed, you know, like as I get older, I'm noticing kind of things that are different, you know, as a kid, you don't really think about these things, but you notice small things like, oh, you know, like, oh, I didn't get these Christmas presents or like, oh, you know, like how come like this person lives in a big house and, you know, we live in an apartment. So during like my younger years, I kind of like, kind of like get that grasp, that concept of like uh, entrepreneurship and, uh, you know, finances. So the biggest 
um, reality check for me was uh, during the 2007 and 2008 crisis, my dad lost his job. My mom lost her job or my dad, you know, he's a contractor. So he had no, you know, contracts for construction. And um, we were going through a tough time. A lot of many people were. So uh, my decision was uh, during that time is uh, I dropped out of uh, school and uh, at the age of 17 and decided to join the army. And during that time, you know, the high, height of the war was kicking off too in both uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. And that's something I always wanted to do. And in, I don't know if you guys want me to keep talking or if you guys want to ask wanna, other questions. want to keep talking, man. This is so interesting right. right now. All right. So um, at the age of 17, you know, I dropped out. Uh, I think I was going into my sophomore. No, no. I was in the middle of my sophomore end of no end of sophomore year and uh, going to junior. I dropped out. And while, you know, my friends were still studying for their SATs and whatnot, I was practicing throwing grenades and going through boot camp. And a short while in the military, I was stationed at Fort Bliss, Texas for a while and uh, got orders for deployment to Afghanistan in 2011. And um, I think that was one of my biggest um, life impacts is just going through the ups and downs in the military. And uh, for those of you guys who have served um, and have deployed, you guys know, you know, the good and the pros and cons of uh, being in the service. So um, being in the military, I, I built really close bonds with a lot of great, amazing people, kind of like brothers. It's almost like a brotherhood where you'll honestly take a bullet for one of your friends. And going through that time, it's really hard to talk about it, but, um, you know, we did lose, um, some close friends cause, um, at, in our job or my unit and my job, uh, we're 11 Bravo, which is, uh, infantry. And, uh, we're pretty much, uh, have to be in combat. Most of us are in combat when we deploy and we have dangerous missions, sometimes, uh, clearing IEDs, patrolling certain, uh, towns and areas, securing routes for, uh, other units. So um, it was about 10 months of that. And uh, I think that's what built me who I am going uh, into the future, like with my mindset. If I can get through, you know, some things like that, I feel like I can get through almost anything. So shortly after uh, the military, I, you know, used my GI Bill. I left the military in 2014. I used my GI Bill to, um, you know, go to school. I majored in accounting. And then I ended up working in public accounting and man, that's a whole nother ball game. <laughs> and during these years in school and, um, and accounting, that's pretty much where I started building my side hustles, whether it's like detailing cars or um, I was importing and exporting things, selling things on Amazon, Facebook marketplace, anywhere where you can kind of like build a hustle. Um, I even built my own t-shirt company called Grumpy Joe's. Um, I sold those shares in 2018, but we actually, one of our videos went viral. It was like 5 million views. It was, it was crazy. It was pretty cool to have like a video go viral, but um, started on t-shirt company, did well for a bit and then kind of died down because we weren't really focusing too much on that. And, uh, yeah, eventually, um, one of my friends, uh, got me into restaurants and that's where we are now. That's awesome, man. I want to say thank you so much for your service. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, oh, no, thank I, you guys for I, I your think, support. Yeah. I think you sort of just brushed by it really quickly and just, you know, but 
that's a huge impact on anyone's life to be a part of that, that experience, right? So thank you so much for serving our country and, and doing the things you do. So just dive deep, deep more, like more deep into that experience is how do you feel like that time in the military has not only affected your mindset, because as you mentioned, you can get through this, you can get through anything, right? But what we notice between me, like what we notice between me and Maggie is our military friends tend to be the most focused, the most the most driven and most disciplined people that we know. Right. And how do you how have have you taken those skill set and life experience to apply to your mindset of like how you want to do things and how do you approach each problem as you're trying to like learn more about a new industry or a new hustle? What is that like for you? Wow. That's uh man, let me think about that for a sec. So I guess when I tackle problems, I try to see the whole overscope of the issue. For example, like let's say at the restaurant industry, um, you know, let's say if employees like, uh, you know, not doing well, like, like not, let's say he's not performing well. And I look at it over the, all the big picture, you know, I don't blame my staff if they're not doing well, then it's, it's the leadership's fault. And that's something in the military I've learned, no matter what happens, it's always leadership because we're the ones that are leading and making decisions. So at the end of the day, I can, you know, as leaders or, you know, even you guys are leaders, you guys are, man, leaders of a huge Asian community. At the end of the day, we are responsible for the organization and we can't, you know, we have to take full responsibility. So let's say uh, one of our employees, you know, isn't performing well, then I got to look into why, you know, is it the mentality? Is it external factors outside of work? Or is it because we haven't provided the critical and uh, necessary training? And then, you know, you just kind of dive deep in from there and see all the routes. Um, but that's how, um, you know, my mindset works uh, when it comes to solving any issues. Well, yeah, I mean, that is a really, really good way to lead. And I know, you know, there's a couple of articles about you and it also says the same thing you've quoted previously. Like if a restaurant is successful, it's not because of you or your partners, but rather the collective work of the entire team. And that just like kind of like pulled on my heartstrings because I think a lot of the times we look at the leader and, you know, we put a lot of spotlight and emphasis on the leaders, see how they're running the business, see how they're running the restaurant, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, a lot of it has to go towards the team as well, you know, and it's really a collective work. Like you have to make sure that the team is working really well with the leader and you emphasize that perfectly. Um, I want to know after, you know, your time in military, when you had transitioned into accounting work, what were you feeling at that time? And, you know, how, how did you kind of decide, like, is this, what, did you kind of go through this, this time? Like, did, do I want to stay in accounting or do I want to do something else? I want to know, like, what was going through your mind at that time after, you know, your, your time in military. Got it. Wow. That's thank you, Maggie. That's actually a really great question. Cause, um, I'm sure a lot of veterans do feel the same way when they get out. But for me personally, um, after I got out the army in 2014, Honestly, I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. Kind of left not having a solid plan besides knowing that, you know, I want to pursue higher education with the benefits I received. And it's perfectly okay. You know, now looking back, it's okay if you don't know what you're doing with your life, because especially when you're in your 20s, because you have at that time, I thought I was old, you know, <laughs> I was 24. And um, the reason I felt old is, you know, I'm going to school and everyone else is like 18. But um, I felt a little lost at right after the military. 
I did take advantage of GI Bill, went to school. And uh, during school, you know, I kind of niched myself into accounting because I like working with numbers. Um, and before I even majored in accounting, you know, I, ever since joining the military, I always had to help my family out or ever since I got my first job, I helped my family out, whether it's paying for their, uh, helping pay for their mortgage or buy, I bought my mom a car in 2012. Like, I think that's like one of my biggest accomplishments, like just, yeah, just buy mom a brand new car for her 45th birthday. Um, and just other things. So I always do like uh, my own budgeting. So I think that's how what got me into accounting is because since I was kind of already doing accounting for my personal life anyway, that's pretty much how I got into it. And, uh, the reason why I kind of like transitioned out of accounting is because, um, I don't know, like, I wasn't sure if that's what I wanted to do for my entire life. You know, like it's a great career path. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's a solid, stable career path can make good money in the long run, but it's more about like, I want to have a bigger impact in people's life, like a direct impact, you know? Cause like what I was doing was pretty much doing financial statements for public accounting firms, you know, making, doing audits of other big companies. And it wasn't really giving me that satisfaction. It didn't make me feel alive going from a combat zone or, you know, being like physically active until being behind a desk all the time. It really didn't feel the same. So I think that's one of the main reasons I got out of accounting. Yeah, that's that's helpful to know. I love that you don't really bash on it as well. You know, like you understood that you wanted to do something more fulfilling, but at the same time, accounting is a really good position to be in a really good industry to be in. And I'm sure that it has helped you build your own businesses too, right? Because a lot of CEOs and a lot of founders, they start businesses, but many of them, you know, to a surprise, they actually don't have a lot of like financial background or financial knowledge. So they have to hire people who are actually knowledgeable in that. But for you to have accounting background and financial background, it probably is extremely helpful for you to start a business. Yeah, it definitely helps, um, especially in the restaurant industry when you're calculating your cost of goods sold, like making sure like, you know, all the numbers make sense for, you know, certain things, whether it's what suppliers you use or what location, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. So I do want to transition and talk about your restaurant, Kyozo. And I know that you had opened, this was your first restaurant, right? And you had opened it on Veterans Day, which is so, so symbolic. And I'm sure it has such a deep meaning for you. Can you talk about like why you decided to open it on Veterans Day and what that process looks like for you? Yes. Uh, thanks for... Well, thanks for asking that question. Cause that's, I actually almost forgot that we opened on Veterans Day. <laughs> it's been, um, but yeah, to answer your question, we did not, we don't, we didn't plan on opening on Veterans Day. Actually, it just kind of fell into it perfectly because originally we were supposed to open eight months earlier, but the whole COVID situation kind of like just dropped everything. Like the contractors stopped working. All the shipments were delayed. Like all of the supplies we needed to build our restaurant was delayed. So, um, yeah, we actually did not plan on opening on veterans day just happened like, Oh, it's veterans day, you know, like, and I think, um, a local, uh, news article wrote like, uh, or local news, uh, kind of like wrote an article about it just cause it's so, I guess, symbolic. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, a lot of businesses have struggled during COVID and we know that one of your, I mean, your restaurant is one of them that had struggled and I'm sure you went through so many 
so many ups and downs of just trying to open up the restaurant during that time, especially as like a minority. Um, a lot of us were affected, you know, due to either like racism or whatever it was. Tell us about like the whole process of that. Like, why was it so difficult and what was going through your mind at that time? You know, I'm sure you were extremely stressed out. Right. And like, how did you stay on top of it and make sure, you know, your team was doing well? No one was, you know, freaking out at the time. Just managing a team is just so much pressure and burden for you as a leader. What was going going on at that time? Like, what was what were you thinking at that time? Wow. Um, that's a deep question. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, COVID definitely hit us hard and it affected us in every possible way. I want to give out a shout out to um, my uh, partner. Uh, he's like the one of the big brains behind Guzo, uh, Derek Liu. He's my partner. Shout out to you, bro, if you're listening. He's he's the one of the other glues that helped uh, keep the team together. During COVID, I mean, it, like I said before, delayed everything and it caused a headache. And, you know, it's just like it's full of uncertainties. Like you're, you don't know what we can't plan ahead because we don't know what's going to happen next because there was a bunch of shutdowns and reopenings and another shutdown. I think we got shut down overall. We got shut down multiple times, like four or five times and we had to reopen three or four or five times. So it was really hard retaining, you know, trying to retain our staff because our staff needs to make money too, to, in order to survive. And we understand that. And, um, and they may, you know, as they make good money at Uzo, they can't, they can't make money if, you know, we're closed and it hit us. And it's just like, we, and we had to pay for rent and a bunch of other things. It's just full of uncertainties. And it's, we were scared, honestly, but we also kind of adapted. We did a bunch of carry out and deliveries, um, like different kinds of Wagyu bento boxes and like just a bunch of different things. And then I guess a good point that you hit that with the, as a being a, a Asian minority during COVID, a lot of people were affected, including restaurants. Luckily, our restaurant wasn't targeted, but a bunch of restaurants in our area got targeted for vandalism. Um, a bunch of them got broken into. It might be racial issues. We don't know. But they were, as far as I know, the, I think seven, it was like six or seven out of the eight were, you know, Asian owned or Asian themed uh, restaurants. So um, it was a time of uncertainties. We were... Yeah, we were struggling and um, but we were able to adapt and, you know, survive it out. And even during the time, um, I believe it was December, you know, um, multiple, I mean, COVID was spreading. So like I got COVID, I was out for like two weeks and like my partner had to like just take over everything, like everything that I was responsible for. So he was stressed out and then we got shut down again. And then like we had to reopen again. It, it was crazy. But um. And we actually reopened. It's funny. Another key date. We actually re after we got shut down for like a month and a half, we reopened on Valentine's day of 2021. So, um, it, it seems like we always, uh, you know, like open on these key dates, but, but yeah, so that's pretty much it. Man, shout out to you, dude. We hear from all our restaurant friends that the restaurant industry is one of the toughest industries to be a part of simply because it, the margins are so razor thin, a lot thinner than any of us think, right? And I'm kind of curious too, like how has the inflation and the supply chains issue like affected your business and the way like you had to think about getting ingredients and supplies and all the other stuff? Like how has that affected your business personally? Yeah, so um, 
That's a very good question, uh, Brian. Um, not many, I'm pretty sure not, not majority of Americans don't know how a lot of, not even just restaurants, a lot of businesses are affected with this huge inflation and the supply chain issues. Uh, I want to say it started happening about like five months ago, six months ago, you started seeing like slow creep of food costs and affected us a lot. Like we're talking about like going from, let's say a 30 to 35% food cost to maybe like 50, 60% food cost on some restaurants. Like uh, one of my other restaurants, um, we're at like almost a 55% food cost right now. So that's why you, we had to kind of like adjust our prices to kind of like uh, make up for it because let's say the price of chicken, it used to be 99 cents a pound per chicken right now. I think we're, I think it's averaging to like anywhere from $3 and 80 cents to $4 and 50 cents a pound. So we're talking about like 400 to 500% increase and certain, you know, or I'm sorry, 300 to 400% increase in certain, uh, uh, you know, supplies and pork belly, the same thing. I mean, it's just everything. So it significantly affected the restaurant industry, including us. And, um, what we've done is to kind of like, we were already prepared for that ahead of time. So we do eat up some of the cost, but we try not to raise it too much on the price because people psychologically, it takes a while for people to realize kind of like inflation in their own head. Like, Oh, okay. Cause if you look back 20 years ago, um, you know, like 20 bucks could 25 bucks could might be able to fill up a whole tank. Um, but it doesn't like register into people's minds psychologically until like at least a few years out. So we're kind of like, slowly adjusting our prices, but not to the point where it's affecting people's pockets, but uh, pretty much to help us stay afloat and uh, keep the costs, you know, down. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely tough for everyone. And I think it's really smart that you bring that part up too. It's like, you don't want to psychologically spike the prices and kind of slow increases. Like, I think it's more yeah. expensive. Yeah. I think that's the question that everyone's asking. Yeah. Obviously. And they come back next time. It's like, Oh, why is pork belly 20 bucks more? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's pretty insane. And I'm kind of curious too, like, I don't know where I seen this earlier. I think I see something on your Facebook a couple of months back or something, or maybe on Yelp about like mm-hmm. some customers writing some bad reviews, but I think the way you, that you handled the situation was, was awesome. Like, how do you handle those kind of situations where you see like a bad Yelp review, you see a bad review somewhere? Like how did, how do you as an owner first, how do you feel when you see something like that? And second, after the emotions set aside, how do you deal with that situation? Great. Another great question, Brian. So obviously it does make me feel like, oh man, like personally attacked. Cause it's like, we put our heart, mind, sweat, blood, and tears into this. So, um, and how we react to it is, um, you know, no matter what we act professional, we take it seriously. Sometimes it's real legit issues. You know, sometimes let's say something was messed up. They didn't get a certain order or let's say there was a uh, example hair in their food or something, whatever it is, we try to fix it. If it's our fault, definitely we fix it hundred percent. Even if customers, uh, I mean, it depends what the customers are, what the reason was. Some people <laughs> can be, I mean, for those of you guys in the restaurant industry, you guys know some people can be a little over the edge. They expect like everything like crazy, like service. I'm talking about that. We had this one lady, she, I think she waited like literally five minutes for her table to get ready for it to be cleaned up and reset. And, um, she, she was like, like just five minutes and she got like furious and started like yelling at my host and I had to like pretty much calm her down and, uh, find out what the issue is. And she demanded like a 90, hundred percent discount practically. 
I was like, hold up, hold up. <laughs> I still handle it uh, professionally, of course. You know, even no matter how ridiculous uh, some complaints are, um, we give her like a very small discount, just like a free dish of like something that has very cheap cost of goods sold on on the house, just to, just to kind of like calm the situation rather than let's say she emotionally gets worse and we have to like, let's say, call the cops to take her out. I'd rather just, you know, just, you know, kind of like, I guess, eat, eat it up, you know, just eat it up, take it, take it for the team because it's not worth our time to kind of like fight with those kind of people. But for the majority part, we try to fix, you know, what the reviews, you know, do kind of like entail. Like if it's something we need to work on, we'll do it because we're not perfect. You know, we were always trying to strive to improve our service, our quality of food and uh, everyone's experience here. No, I was just going to say, I love that transparency and, you know, it's really common to see bad Yelp reviews on Yelp, right? People love to leave Yelp reviews when they're having a bad experience, but if they do have a good experience, like they're less likely to leave a review, right? And so I do see sometimes, you know, restaurant owners, they do, you know, yell back or like fight back, right? And sometimes it gets a lot of hype, like, oh, you know, some people love drama. So they're like, wow, good for the restaurant owner for standing up for themselves, right? But then it only gets hype for like maybe a week or two and then it kind of passes by right but i love that you try to take constructive feedback and you're still nice to all the customers because who knows like maybe they'll come back because they saw how transparent and how honest you were right and maybe that like small percentage of people will come back and say like you know they try to amend things and they try to make things right so i'll come back the next time and try it again so i just i just love your your perspective and outlook for that oh thanks maggie yeah, of course. So I do want to talk about your social media. So you are pretty big on social media for Gyozo Barbecue. And um, for his personal yeah. as well. He has a YouTube channel. And your personal, yes. And, <laughs> <laughs> and your wife as well. You guys are pretty big on social media. And obviously there's a lot of benefits to, you know, you know, put your restaurant or business on social media. Um, I'm curious to know, like, have you seen a lot of results or like customers coming in? from them finding out about Gyoza Barbecue through social media? And like, how do you decide to like leverage um, anything that's like popular? Cause I noticed that there were videos of people in like Squid Game gear at the restaurant. And that's like one of those things where I'm just like, whoa, I would love to go to that restaurant because they have Squid Game cookies and, you know, gear and stuff like that. So that's something that is really, really cool. Talk about like how you kind of see um, Gyozo and just like your businesses on social media and the presence impact that it has yeah um so as we know um perception is reality you know for most people perception is reality whatever they perceive on whether it's social media or through real life interactions that's the what the reality is um so social media is a huge key part to almost any business nowadays so shout out to my wife uh jess because she's the one that actually manages our social media and she does a really wonderful job and thank you for saying we're big, but I'm not big on social media, but my, my wife is kind of big, but shout out to her. Cause she's the one that, uh, manages all the, you know, Guzo posts and every, pretty much everything on there. So, um, I think it's huge for restaurants because that's how you kind of, um, try to interact with your guests or, you know, your customers or client base. And that's how you build your relationship. Like whether it be Instagram, Facebook, TikTok's the newest one ever since the pandemic hit. We haven't taken advantage of that just because like, oh my God, it takes so much creativity to make like 
viral TikTok videos. Like I, me, I'm not like a big social media person. Like I'm horrible. That that's why I have my wife, you know, but, um, yeah, social media is a huge play into restaurants and that's how you interact with your guests. And that's how you can kind of like advertise. And, um, but it's hard at the same time for restaurants because not many people want to just see like food posts every day, especially from the same restaurant, same type of food, it gets boring. So that's why we spice things up a bit. Like, uh, we had like when squid game was hot, like we, uh, my wife actually got the idea, like, Hey, you know, like we could do something at our restaurant. I'm like, yeah. So we looked up online, we found some squid game outfits and we thought it'd be cool if we can like, kind of like have a prize, you know? So we did the cookies, like all our, our staff, our team wore like the squid game suits, mask, everything, the whole nine yards, just to give that a cool experience. And it was Halloween too. So it's like perfect time, you know, excuse to kind of do this event. And so we did, I believe we did it for two weeks to give people time to actually experience it. Cause you know, if we only do it for like a two, three days, you know, a lot of people are going to miss out and it's, oh man, but yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of upset. Cause like, I really wanted to do it a little bit longer. Cause like so many people loved it, but we'll bring it back with other themes later down the road. But, um, people really enjoyed it and it kind of, you know, like helped us grow even more on social media. Cause people are like, Oh my God, this restaurant's doing squid game theme. And, uh, they give out these, uh, the cookies to cut out and, uh, don't worry though. There's no repercussions on if, you know, if you mess up on the cookies, we're not going to like double your bill or something. If you mess up the cookies, <laughs> that would be a good marketing tactic, like free meal or double your bill. <laughs> <That's> hilarious. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, you know, we'd give them a prize if they did the cookie correct. And then, you know, just give them that ex dining, uh, full dining experience with the squid game. Uh, yeah, that is amazing. I, I love that you're using social media and just like anything that's popular to, you know, up level your restaurant and your business, because that that's really the kind of like the secret sauce to like survive nowadays. And I think a lot of a lot of like mom and pop stores, they don't get that opportunity to, to do that. And, you know, we're living in the day and age where we have like all the resources and, you know, everything that we can use in terms of like social media to really like, you know, bring our restaurant and business to the next level. So congrats on the, the success that you had for that theme. Uh, thank you, Maggie. Thanks. <laughs> Definitely big congrats, man. And, and again, we know like nothing, it's easy, right? Like running a restaurant's not easy. Managing a team's not easy. Creating the culture that you create is not easy. So like, I'm kind of curious too, like what is next for Gary? Cause I feel like you, you are a man of hustle. If you guys can't see behind Gary, it says hustle, execute and grind. Three words that Gary is, right? So, like, what's next for you, man? Like, what's what's the journey beyond? Like, are you spending more restaurants? You get other different side hustles? I see they get into investing crypto right now. Like, what's going on, Gary? Oh man, that's uh that's a good question. I ask myself that every day, actually. Like recently, so I just recently helped um open another restaurant like a few months ago. Uh, it's a high end Sichuan food. So I helped my partner build it up because, you know, he needed some help managing it and whatnot. So I oversaw saw the entire or the front of the house operations. So now that's settled down, we have like enough managers and staffing is good and everything's running smooth, possibly more restaurants, honestly <laughs> looking. So I'm part of a bigger restaurant group called IV, a restaurant group and um, the entire group. I want to say the president owns all of them and he, has, I want to say around 50 right now. It's a lot. That's a lot to manage. And he wants me to open and invest and open one, another one in the Maryland area and Virginia. 
later this year. So, um, I'm just like, okay, all right, hold on. Let me, let me, let me decide first. Let me, <laughs> let me take a break and, uh, let me see, um, you know, do my research and kind of like due diligence, uh, the type of concept location food cost, of course. So yeah, we're looking right now, um, possibility of opening more restaurants in the future. Damn. That is, that is quite the hustle, man. Uh, you just mentioned restaurants so far. Have you opened 10 more? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> no, that's but, amazing. I mean, congrats to you for, you know, someone who opens their first restaurant and, you know, to not have a lot of experience in that field. We, um, Brian and I hear it every day that, restaurant running a restaurant is not easy at all you know and to get into that field with no experience a lot of people probably have that experience from their parents owning a restaurant right um but just props to you really really happy for all the success that you have and can't wait to hear about the other restaurants opening up for you as well and props gary for not having receipts inside his meats every time oh yeah, yeah. And for context the first time that we met gary is in washington dc we ate korean barbecue it's like so it's pretty late at night and <laughs> we're walking out like the meat was cut in all different sizes. Um, there was a receipt eventually inside one of the plates that was hidden <laughs> because of the meat. And it's like, whoa, what an experience. Yeah. <laughs> and then, it was so funny. I know. It was pretty funny in retrospect thinking about it because I feel like all the waiters there were like super high. <laughs> I don't think it was a receipt because you know how like they package meat receipt. in like little um, boxes with so the saran wrap. So usually the saran wrap has a packaging label on it. I think it was that. But it, either way, like the waiter didn't see it until we pointed it out, and he was like trying oh. to take a deeper look. And he was like, and, and, "Oh, as I'm so sorry." A deeper look, like his dress shirt got stuck inside like the green grill area, so his shirt's like half grease now. As he's looking over but i'm so glad gary took that experience and learned and, and none of that happens at his restaurant by the way oh my god that's so oh my god it's funny that you bring back that memory because i remember specifically telling you guys like after that event in dc i was like yo we're gonna take you guys to one of the best korean barbecue restaurants in the area i was like we were hyping it up for you guys like yo you guys gonna love it and then as soon as we get there, our first meat that comes out, like in the middle of cooking, we see like a receipt burning, like catch, almost catching on fire. And what I, I bet you what it was, it's um, the ticket receipt for the uh, the kitchen. So every time they put an order in, oh. the ticket prints out and that's what it's for. And you put it along with the plate of um, the dish that they ordered. So, you know, what table it goes to. So I bet you that's what it was. And yeah, I'm pretty sure that server was really, really high that. Oh my God. That's, <laughs> can, can you open up a cream barbecue place in, in their place in DC area? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, um, that was definitely a memorable experience. It was definitely a memorable experience. And that was the first time we had met. So we'll always remember that time that we ate together and we found a receipt in our food. <laughs> so Gary, we have one last question for you. And that is, if you could give an advice to someone who is trying to get into the restaurant business, what would that advice be? Okay. I think the best advice that I could give, honestly, um, not even just for the restaurant industry, but just for almost anything that you are going to work on or start up on is find a good team and find a good partner because no matter what industry you're in, 
you're going to need, be able to need someone that one that you can trust and two, you can rely on and work well together. Like for example, my partner, Derek, um, we fill in each other's weaknesses, our strengths and our weaknesses are pretty much polar opposites. Like he's very creative and he's the one that came up with majority of like the recipes and concepts with, um, with, the uh, um, the chef and he's the one that designed actually our entire restaurant just by himself, like designed the entire thing inside out. And my strong suit is, um, you know, my, uh, analytics and my operation side from the military. So I was able to help with the training hiring. Um, and luckily we have a good team because the hiring process, honestly, I interviewed probably 150 people and I'm 150. I only hired, I want to say about 30, 37. And the reason I go through a rigorous interview process is because I'd rather hire the, the right person the first time around because um, so you don't have to waste more time later down the road because having a good work environment, a good team environment will make or break any business. But yeah, so that's my advice is just having the right partner on your team and the right you know, team in your organization will make or break any business. I absolutely agree. That's, that's amazing advice. I love that you put the emphasis that, you know, you took more time to interview more candidates is always better than wasting more time in the long run. If you had to, you know, let them go and find other candidates. So really, really good perspective and advice. Thanks. Thank you so much for sharing that. And where could our listeners find out more about you and your businesses online, including Gyozo barbecue? Oh man. Okay. Um, you guys can find me on Instagram. It's, uh, I'll, I guess you guys will post a link down below or wherever, but it's uh, Gary Huang 24. And uh, where you guys can find out more about the restaurants and upcoming restaurants is at IVEA, which is IVEA.co. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that, Gary. We'll leave all of those in the show notes for this episode. It was amazing hearing your story. Just wanted to thank you for hopping onto our podcast today. Thank you so much, Gary. And thank you guys for having me on the show. Of course. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.